Hey everyone, Mark and Steve here. Before we get started today, we want to let you know about Dare to Connect, our new online interactive video platform. For less than the cost of a therapy session, you and your spouse get live access to both of us three times a week. Each 30-minute live group support session provides interactive mentoring and healing for addicts, spouses, and couples. If you're loving our podcast and our unique style of bringing you recovery, you're going to love Dare to Connect. To learn more, go to daretoconnectnow.com. We're looking forward to seeing and working with you. Hey, everybody. I'm Steve Moore. And I'm Mark Castleman. We know the pain and heartbreak of porn and sex addiction. And we know the triumph of breaking completely free. Every day, we help our clients find hope and healing. Join us in the fight to take back your life, your marriage, and be stronger than ever. This is the PBSC Squared Podcast. Hey, everybody, Mark and Steve with you here on the PBSE podcast. Last uh, time in our uh, episode 120, we talked about uh, how Mark and Steve moved from defensiveness to fighting for their marriages. Yep. And that was part one. And in that part one, we focused on how to be in a hard conversation, right? Talk about hard things, the elephant in the room all the different ways we come together as, as couples and how we can do that, how, how you and I did that without going to back to our typical defensiveness. Handling, handling, the, handling a spouse's feedback. Yeah. yeah, handling a spouse's feedback, you know, uh, in whatever form that takes, with whatever her authentic, raw, and real expressions and sharing and speaking her truth. And how, how do we handle that without immediately, you know, taking it as a, an attack and we've got to defend ourselves and the whole thing breaks down. So if you haven't listened to that uh, episode 120, go back and listen to that because this episode 121 is part two. Yep. And what we're going to talk about today, uh, how to move from defensiveness to fighting for your marriage as guys in recovery is this I'm going to be a little sarcastic, this wonderful <laughs> place <laughs> of Triggering people and places that we run into in our in our recovery and in our betrayal trauma healing. There's lots of there's lots of different people and places that can be extremely triggering for us as addicts and for our spouses. It's not just an addict thing, it's also very much so for spouses. And so we wanted to talk about what some of those people and places could be, and then talk about some really practical in the trenches way for us as guys in recovery to not go to immediate defensiveness and old dysfunctional tactics when we find ourselves in those triggering places or with triggering people. For sure. So let's, uh, let's talk about, let's just, maybe we should just list out real quick what some of those things are. Yeah, let's, let's do, let's kind of just jump into this. I mean, you know, I guess before we start, probably a good thing to say is that uh, this is an awesome topic, and I'm excited for today's topic because this skill set of processing through triggers, right, and navigating them, 
um, is one of the skills that is a, I guess you could argue is a lifelong one, right? In the recovery oh, no process. question, right? Um, some of these things, you know, we, we do kind of as a short term as part of a stage in recovery. And then we, you know, they eventually either drop off or get pulled back dramatically. And when it comes to navigating triggers, even though triggers do become less prominent as we move through the recovery process, as well as less potent, so they're less powerful, they they will happen for months, oftentimes years and longer, you know, into the recovery process. Because, you know, triggers, if you recall, in, in a negative sense, are just really anything in the environment uh, that causes us to get pulled back to a place of, you know, harder times in the addiction, whether it's for an addict, you know, areas around the emotions, feelings, or desires of acting out, right. And everything tied up in that or for the spouses. And so, you know, if we kind of break that down specifically, when we look at triggers for addicts, um, you know, the popular language that we use or, or the popular vernaculars, we're, we're usually referring to, you know, that desire that, that, that being triggered to act out or to go into a place of lust but Mark, as we, you know, and Steve and I were talking before the show, it goes, it goes way beyond that. Right? Well, so there's the obvious places. And, and again, this is going to be, some of these are going to be very common to mm-hmm. everyone listening. Some, sometimes you have your own unique specific places or people that trigger you that are unique to your history. But some that come to my mind would be uh, like uh, a lot of public spaces, the mall, uh, the public swimming pool, the beach, um, you know, sporting events where there's cheerleaders. Uh, there's just all kinds of different public venues that can be very triggering, you know, for us as addicts, especially if we, if we've spent time in our, in our addiction years, fantasizing or, or acting out in our minds in those places. Um, another one could be where we as addicts have actually, have actually acted out in physical, you know, overt ways. Mm-hmm. Also driving down the road and passing, you know, the strip club. Or even driving on the freeway, passing the exit that went to the strip club, sure. you know, just so all kinds of all kinds of things like that. Um, certain people, maybe in the workplace, maybe we've engaged with fantasy about about uh, people that we work with, and now we're in recovery, but we got to go to work every day. Yeah. People are still there. Um, just a long list. For sure. Well, and, and obviously the, the big piece to that too are the emotions that accompany those things, right? Uh, yes. Triggers can be super potent for addicts. Again, way down the road when we long past, past gaining and acquiring and maintaining sobriety, um, they can be painful. And, and oftentimes they will, you know, take us to a couple of places. Uh, and, and Mark and I can attest to being guilty of both of these. One is uh, oftentimes our response as addicts is we will sometimes get pulled into a a hypervigilant state or a caretaking of a spouse, right? We recognize the pain and the issues that we've caused. And so uh, sometimes we will get thrown off our game by trying to somehow manage or control how a spouse, a spouse is responding to a situation or to, a, or to uh, you know, an, 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 a trigger in the environment, either that they're having or that we are, or kind of tied to that, as you know, we addicts, we our number one, I think, vulnerability with this, even in the long term, is is always you know being at risk of getting pulled back into shame, right? Shame around the addiction, shame around our own inadequacy, shame around um, you know our past history, and also just our, our overall weaknesses, the damage we we've caused. Right? That's an ongoing battle for for us addicts, and something we always have to be on the lookout for. Yeah. So if we find ourselves in those those uh, those places or with those people that have been really challenging, problematic for us in the past. As you said, Steve, we can take a we can take a number of 
we can have a number of reactions to those places. And so as I look back on my history, you know, of course, one of those was, um, you know, shutting down. Mm, I would just, yeah. I would go into those public places and just shut down. And I would, and so, uh, and so I remember the tools that sometimes people would offer. Mark, if you go into any of those public places that have been a challenge for you in the past, just look at the sky. Just look at the sky, Mark. Look at the sky. Or someone said, yeah. no, look at the ground. You got to look at, just look at the ground the whole time. And so we're so completely, um, just so completely preoccupied with the whole, the intensity of the environment, the past history, as you said, the shame of it. The, oh my gosh, here we go. I'm, I'm taking my kids to the public swimming pool. It's going to be absolutely horrible. How am I, how am I going to not look and not scan and not stare? And so it, it literally overtakes our entire experience. Yes, absolutely. You know, so this hypervigilance. Or you said, or if a spouse is with us, I'm watching my wife's face. And, she, and I'm watching her watching me. And she's watching to see where I'm watching. And is she upset? <laughs> is she worried? Just, oh, my, you, the whole thing, what it does is those people in those places that are triggering, they basically rob us of the ability to be fully present in the moment. I love that. To just find the joy and the presence. The whole thing is just, is just blown to hell. Yeah, it disrupts our ability just to, just to live, right? Day to right. day, oftentimes, right. absolutely. And 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 that and what you said is so true. You know, sometimes one spouse's triggers lead to the others. I mean, just that case in point <laughs> is what you kind of mentioned, where maybe a spouse is going along and they're doing great, right? They're in a good place with recovery that day. There's not really anything that's on the uh, triggering for them on the register, but maybe an addict is in such a self lacking so much self confidence, or he's in a, such a self conscious place or in a codependent caretaking mode that he starts <laughs> acting strange. And then yep. she's like, what is going on? Like, yep. why? She picks it up and then she looks at the environment that they're in and she says, oh my gosh, he's having struggles. Yeah, what's, Here what's we happening? Here we go again. For sure. He's falling back into his old ways, right? And then that just triggers her all over the place. Yes. Yeah. And my wife could tell when we would go into those venues and she could tell that I was not present. She knew that I was going through something hard. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, would throw her off. Yes. We can't be intimate and close and connected and really into each other if I'm in that place. Absolutely. You're right. It just it does it disrupts the daily living, but also the intimacy on every level. And you know, that's one thing we're hoping to hoping to uh, you know, kind of convey to everybody listening today is, you know, how do we navigate these kinds of situations in real time? Uh, not just as addicts, but also uh from a spousal perspective. So we're kind of expanding on on last week's mm-hmm. podcast that way. Um, and we want to give you some tips and tricks and abilities to do that. And, you know, a while ago, actually. So many of you are aware, those who are listeners to the, to the program, that uh, we have an online recovery program called Dare to Connect that we launched uh, a little under a year ago. And uh, we uh, that program has been growing exponentially. It's for addict spouses and couples. We meet three times a week uh, and uh, for for about a half hour currently, although that's going to be expanding here in a little while. Um, and we get really raw and real with clients on an interactive level. They can ask questions. We can give answers. Um, it's a great, great kind of one-of-a-kind program. There's nothing out there else out there like it. Um, a while ago, because of the extra time, because we do go more in depth, uh, Mark uh, actually got really uh, raw and real about uh, how he and his wife, you know, oftentimes put into practice what we're going to talk about today, like in real time. Um, if if 
at the risk of brownizing a little bit, they're quite good at it. It's pretty awesome to hear hear him talk about this the story. <laughs> and uh, I think if memory serves, his wife actually was on the program and Dare to Connect. We have our wives come on there sometimes, and she was able to share her side of it too. But uh, I think that uh, one probably the most effective way to maybe give you guys a way to an idea of how of how some of these uh, ways of navigating these things work is to give you some real time examples. And so. We've got yeah. uh, our resident expert here. Mark's going to. Oh, wow. We're in trouble. Walk us through some stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, there's a, so I, it does help to go through a specific scenario. So I think, I think uh, when I shared on Dare to Connect, I think it was last summer, if I remember right, or maybe last spring, mm-hmm. one of the big, one of the places of humongous challenge for me with regard to, to addiction, sexual addiction was the beach. So I grew up in Los yeah. Angeles spent a lot of time at the beach as a kid. And during my, during my teenage years and my young adult years, and even way into, way into my even early to midterm recovery, the beach was just horrendous, right? Because it's, yeah. it's, it's just, you're right in the midst of all of the, all of the triggers, right? The death trap. Yeah. Hard body bikini to people. And you know, your brain just runs wild and the fantasy is right there all in front of you. You don't have to conjure it up. It's right there in your face. And it's just been a terrible place for me. And when I was in early recovery, when I, when I started to battle these old, you know, acting out and fantasies and urges, man, the beach was just awful. At first, I just avoided going there altogether. Oh, we're going to go to the beach. So I'd have some excuse, something I had to do or <laughs> whatever was going on. I wasn't going to the beach. And then when I, when I would go, I would, you know, practice these things like, okay, just, just close your eyes, just sit in your beach chair and just close your eyes, listen to the sound of the waves or right. Look at the seagulls, just, just spend the whole time looking at the seagulls (laughs) Mm -hmm. and all of these, all of these techniques that, that essentially didn't work because they were based on sheer willpower. They were based on me going to war. Yeah. And we yeah. get into this place as addicts where we think we only have two options, fight or give in, mm-hmm. fight or give in. And actually, there's a third option. This is what I often talk to my clients about. It's like, let's talk about the third option. And here's, so here's what the third option looks like. And this is what my wife and I were able to do last spring. And I, and I try to do this as often as I can. And this is not just the beast. This works for the mall. This works for, you know, whatever public place or gathering with people or workplace or wherever you're going, you can use these principles. So the first thing that I uh, realized is that my ability to go somewhere like the beach, a terrible, you know, really vulnerable triggering place in the past, I had to go there prepared. If I wasn't doing my daily personal work, if I wasn't engaging in recovery in a really consistent way, me going to the beach was like stepping into the ring with Mike Tyson in his prime. And I hadn't been do- doing any training, no, no work for that experience. I would just, was just going to step into the ring with Mike Tyson. And what do you think is going to happen? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Five seconds in, Mark is, <laughs> Mark's face is on the canvas and he's knocked out. So you can't go into these places that have been triggering in the past unless you are prepared because you've been doing your consistent personal work. Steve, you might want to say something about that. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's so many things that go into a triggering situation, right? As with so many things in recovery, 
what we do before we ever get into a situation has such an impact on how the situation plays out. Question. Right. As an addict, we talk oftentimes in Dare to Connect for with with how about, you know, with addicts and spouses, you know, the recovery work, the quality of that, how I'm connecting with myself, with other people, uh, you know, making sure that there's a, a therapeutic alliance being my coupleship, making sure that we're on the same page, we're talking about heart issues, et cetera, et cetera. All of these things coalesce into how we process triggers and, and instances like this in real time. Absolutely. Um, you know, and so that daily recovery work, both on an individual and a couple level is, is absolutely essential. You know um, what determines for an addict, for example, oftentimes a relapse, I would say 70% of it is what's happened the last 24 to 72 hours. It's not necessarily what happens. In totally moment. agree. Yep. So and same thing happens, you know, when processing triggers in a coupleship like this. So, yep. So if you know you're headed to a place that's going to be triggering and as for example, a vacation, I had, a, I had notice of that months in advance. So yeah. part of my preparation is, am I doing my personal work? Are we doing our work as a coupleship? Are we doing daily check-ins with each other? Right. Are we in a good space? Are we talking about hard things? So personal work's huge. The other side of this, guys, and man, boy, I hit this with my clients. They already know. Whenever they talk about they're going to go into a vulnerable situation, they know what Mark's going to say. They know Mark's question. You know what it is? What's your plan? What's your plan? What's your plan? <laughs> I don't even have to say it. They usually say it for me. You have to have a plan going into these scenarios. Absolutely. Whether it's vacation months down the road or whether it's the mall tomorrow, you need to have a plan. And so we as addicts in recovery, we want to lead out. We want to be proactive in coming up with a plan. But as you do that, I invite you as a first step, if your spouse is involved, to dare to talk to her about it. Absolutely. Let's talk about this upcoming thing that we're going to be going into Hey, sweetheart, what are your concerns about it? You know, what has that been like for you in the past? What are, what are your worries about this coming up? You know, also get to lean in to hear hard things sometimes. Absolutely. And you know, a big part of that that sometimes gets neglected is, you know, we, is even, even with the guys that we work with, you know, or the, or the addicts that we work with, even when they're doing a lot of recovery work, sometimes there's almost a, I don't know if it's, we don't want to appear like we're not humble or we don't want to be manipulative or whatever, but oftentimes I, I just worked with a couple just the other day about this very issue. He's doing all of this recovery work and doing these daily efforts. She doesn't even know. <laughs> she has no idea. You know, he's figuring that, you know, it's his recovery and he needs to operate, which is all healthy, but he's not including here in the fact that, Hey, you know, I just, it's important for you to know I'm fighting for us every day. This is how I'm doing it. Exactly. You know, this is what I'm learning. This is how I'm growing. And so having those conversations beforehand and making sure that, you know, you're making, I mean, there's, there's such tremendous opportunity here, guys, as with any situation, when an obstacle comes up, a, a trip to the mall can, can land you in your therapist's office talking about separation yes. or a trip to the mall can be the turning point in your recovery. Totally. And it all depends on how you approach it. How you approach it. Yeah. Right? I mean, my old days, I would take the Mark Stoic, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, do it yourself, be a man. And I wouldn't tell my wife about any of it. Mm -hmm. I'd head to the beach all by my, you know, it was all about me and what I was going to do and how I was going to get through it. And For you know sure. what? It, it was never successful. Yeah. So including her in the discussion process about this is coming up. What do you think? 
We put our heads together. She gives ideas. Then I, as the guy in recovery, go and put together my plan. Mm -hmm. I include my support system. I talk to my 12-step group, guys who have been through this. I talk to my sponsor. If I've got a therapist, I run, it, I run it by him. I do the work to put together the plan. I've already talked to my spouse for feedback. And once I've got the plan, now I share it with her. Here's yeah. my plan. And then she can give additional feedback. And, and we can tweak it. And now we've got a plan going into that scenario. Absolutely. And she knows what it is. Yeah. Not sure. so that she can kick my butt if she sees that I'm not doing it, but so that we can be collaborative. Yeah. No, for sure. And there are, I, and you know, one of the skill sets to utilize in a process like this that you can use in real time is something that we've talked about before on the podcast. We, we call it grounding techniques. Grounding techniques. Yes. Right. So grounding techniques, just a quick definition. And we'll have Mark give some examples of how he's done this with the beach are really what you're doing is you're utilizing anything you can in the environment to somehow engage your senses to keep you engaged in the present and in your authentic self, rather than getting pulled out of the present or into an inauthentic place. Exactly. Right. So sight, exactly. sounds, feels, touch, right? All, all, yep. It's all it's these really, different things. Having, ha, having the intention that I'm going to be fully present in that location. And so a beach example for me and my wife, what I did during that week of vacation, a whole week sitting on the beach. <laughs> it's like, you know, great, right? As an addict, you're like, oh man. But I did things like, where are we going to put our beach chairs? You choose that location carefully, right? You don't put it in the middle of the of the spring break crowd that were just bust in from, you know, Ohio, right? You're gonna, you put it down where the family groups are. Yes. Simple things like that. Um, I'm going to take my chair and I'm going to have the chair right next to my wife, side by side. Then I'm going to be doing things like holding her hand. Or I'm going to be doing things like taking the chairs and facing them so that I can look in her eyes and we can have some we can have conversation. Mm -hmm. I'm going to bring a book with me that that I'm really into and I'm and so that I can read. I'm going to uh, be prepared to practice meditation while I'm in that setting. Close my eyes and listen to the the waves and the seagulls. Right? You hear all of these being fully present techniques. Present, present, present. I'm right here. I'm into you or I'm into my meditation or I'm into my book. You don't allow the brain to just go into that thing for a free for all. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm just going to be spontaneous and whatever happens, happens. Right. You go in with all of these grounding techniques, all of these yep. ways to become present, right. Either by holding hands, physical touch, conversation, meditation, books. I mean, there's, I'm going to go out and I'm going to intentionally go for a swim. There's just, I'm going to focus on those little kids and, and all their laughter and the good time that they're having. And it just tickles me to watch them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All of the grounding techniques that are, that are there. So lots of ways to tackle this stuff, guys. And the most important part is, is where we started, right? It's the transparency piece yes. because situations like this will do one of two things. They will either bring you closer together or they will divide you. Mm -hmm. There really isn't much of a middle ground, especially, you know, when we're tackling these things early on in the process. So please don't give into the fear of situations like this. I know both for addicts and spouses, sometimes we, we cave into that fear of, oh, crap, this thing's coming up. But, you know, from a spouse's point of view, I don't want to upset him or throw him into shame. From an addict's point of view, I don't want to trigger her or make her frustrated. And so what do we do? We avoid it. 
and we really do set ourselves up to run into the bullet fire, you know, butt naked, and then we just get cut down or Mike Tyson, like Mark said. And we kind of easily increase the intensity of the situation and, and kind of turn it into a self-fulfilling prophecy where, where it's as bad or worse than we thought it was going to be. Yes. Instead of just facing the elephant in the room, bringing it right out into the big, bright spotlight in advance and just talking about it. Sure. The, the transparency, the normalization of it, the talking about it, I'm going to tell you, will reduce the intensity by half all by itself. Yep. No, it's so true. And the last thing that we'll, we'll wrap up with as we close up here is, is making sure not to skip a recapping or oh, reviewing yes. those triggering situations. After know. they're over, come together and say, okay, how'd it go? What was that like for you? Here's what Clients, it was. Clients, I sometimes call that an after action report as well. That's what after we'll, action report. We'll use know. that kind of military term like a, a, de- a debriefing. Right? Yeah, exactly. Let's, like, let's debrief. How'd we do? How'd we do? It, what then, went well? What didn't? And then using all of that to prepare for the next one. Yes. Exactly. Right? Yeah, I love that. Exactly. Well, there's some quick, quick ideas about uh, dealing with triggering people and places. We hope it's been helpful. And again, if you want some really in-depth, crazy in the trenches, look at all this kind of stuff, come on over to us uh, in the Dare to Connect program, daretoconnectnow.com. And we'd love to help you drill down on these things much more deeply than we have time to do here. For sure. So, yeah. Awesome, guys. Have a great rest of your week and we will uh, we'll catch you next week. Yep. See you next time in part three, right? Yeah, part three. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> See you, Take care. Everything expressed on the PBSC podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants and is for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self-harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.